We are now rolling. Come on, Vic. Let's do it. Shall we? In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, folks. Welcome to a, another live stream episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy podcast. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, well, you maybe saw a glimpse of me before our illustrious intro came on. But thank you very, very much for tuning in. As always, today is a, a very special day. Guess what? We're indoors. We're stuck indoors with some time on our hands and... Who could I bring on? How about some friends? How about some legends? How about somebody that was the original bass player of the Alice Cooper band? Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Mr. Dennis Dunaway? Hello, Dennis. <laughs> hey, Ryan. How's it going? I love, your new, I love your new intro. Your show's getting slick. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we actually have uh, Vic Chalfant behind the dials. Uh, he's putting in all the overlays. He's putting in the, he'll highlight some comments. And a lot of it's this new platform. I, trust me, I'm still in my son's bedroom, even though it looks okay. like New York City. <laughs> uh, you know, we're shooting this all out of, uh, of bedrooms across uh, the world. It's not even bedrooms well, across uh... Yeah, that's a good picture of New York City with nothing moving because that's how it is right now. <laughs> wow, you have a pretty good backdrop yourselves. You know, I think you picked it the the right backdrop for the right show right now, right? Well, well, you're the one that told me to to have albums in the background. <laughs> yeah, you weren't supposed to say that. <laughs> for those you know, of you I like you know I like uh, gold albums better than bowling trophies because they're easier to hang on the wall. See. Good to know. Fun fact. Are you an actual bowler? Can you bowl? No, because I don't want to win any trophies. <laughs> well, one thing that Alice does like to talk about you, uh, he always brings it up more in the golf course. It wasn't bowling, but it was track. That That's how oh, yeah. you and Alice Cooper met on the track field because you were both track stars or were you really track stars or is that Alice embellishing it? Not, not letting the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> uh, no, no. Actually, uh, our division was undefeated. We were, we were pretty heavy duty. Um, Alice was a good runner. He was, uh, you know, a year below me. So he was junior varsity when I was varsity. But uh, I talked him into uh, coming on the team, and that bonded us, you know. And I think, I think it had a lot to do with the uh, – you know, keep going no matter what attitude that the Alice Cooper group had in the early days. Really? Like the, the, the chariots of fire theme? Was that your, <laughs> it was before <laughs> no, no. chariots of fire. What no, am I talking a, about? A, actually we were, we were singing Beatles songs and making our own lyrics that had to do with track. You know, last night I ran four laps for my coach. <laughs> <laughs> So this was but, obviously. But let's face it. Uh, let's face it. If you were going to sing, that didn't last long before you were just huffing and puffing. Yeah, definitely not on the track. That what you do in the fourth. Right, I used yeah. to hate that in high school. For me, when they'd also, you know, every year they'd make you do some sort of tests that would, uh, you know, are you uh, in shape? You have to have some sort of requirement level, and then I'd have to run. I'd be tired like the first time around. But good. Thank goodness for long distance runners like Dennis Dunaway. And make the world a better place. Yeah, well, we, yeah, well, uh, you know, we ran a lot of miles together out through the desert and everything. Uh, my best mile was uh, four, 
36. And my best half mile was the same day. It was uh, 2.06. That's a good day. That's a really yeah, good day on actually, the track. Actually, it was uh, fueled by me thinking that this girl that I really liked was there. And it turned out she wasn't even there. <laughs> did someone whisper it in your ear right before right before the uh did, does track use the gun shot right the, the pistol shot or do they do, yeah, do but, that anymore yeah but you, well now they have a buzzer kind of thing but when they had the gun you had to look at the gun because usually he wasn't up close so you wanted to watch the smoke because if you waited for the sound other guys already took off the speed of the, yeah yeah the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound how about that exactly <laughs> so and this, both of them were both of them were faster than us <laughs> <laughs> this is all happening in phoenix arizona right were you guys growing up that's where you sort of cut your teeth with the band that's where yeah. it formed but before that you were born i'm reading in oregon, oregon. so yeah. that's where the true Dennis Dunaway, a sort of hippie, um, how would you say, not hippie, but more bohemian Dennis Dunaway that I know. Maybe that's where that was, the seeds were well, sown. Well, you know, Oregon is known for tree huggers and all of that, but, uh, but I was pretty young when we moved to Phoenix. So we went from the the wet climate to the arid climate and uh, readjusted when I was, uh, you know, I went to grade school in Arizona, and uh, uh, so so I was pretty young, even though we went to visit Oregon a lot. In fact, I had, when I finally found out that the only thing left to learn how to play for the band was bass, I went up to <laughs> Oregon and worked on my grandfather's farm to get the money to buy my first bass. Well, what did you guys do, rock, paper, or rock, paper, scissors, to find out who's going to play what in the band, or how did that uh, work out? No, everybody chose before me. <laughs> and of course, you know, Alice uh, uh, can't keep track of much of anything. You know, if you hand him something, then it'll be laying there after he leaves the room. <laughs> and he's always been like that. So, you know, Glenn Buxton and I were thinking, okay, well, he can't keep track of an instrument, so he's got to be the singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, you never know when the guitar would be left behind. Well, thank goodness you got uh, chosen or you sort of drew the short stick or whatever you want to call it. You ended up bass being your calling, and you pretty much defined the sound of the Alice Cooper band through that bass and all those bass parts. I always tell people that when you come up and you jam with us on stage at an Alice Cooper concert, it really is like having that feeling of those original recordings come back to life because that's just, it's, it's who you are. It's what you are. And at what age did you, I, I got to think that it was Paul McCartney that had some influence on the way you played because you have such a running line, but were there other influences as well uh well from paul mccartney it had to do with just the way he could go in the middle of a song it would come to the bridge and all of a sudden the whole rhythm and pattern would change and he would still make it feel like it belonged in the song even though i didn't learn many uh beatles songs uh it was more stones for me blues rooted uh, via Glenn Buxton, who is the one that showed me where the notes were on the neck and how to tune and all that. Uh, but uh, so we were a cover band. We did a lot of kinks and who and 
stones and everything else. I heard the birds. But, the birds are always a popular reference, at least in the in the drives to the to the golf course. Well, were, were they our, our very first tour? If you want to call three gigs a tour, you know, we played. We opened for the birds in Phoenix, Arizona. And then in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and then came back to the big Coliseum in Phoenix, Arizona. And what did we get from the birds? Uh, Mm -hmm. Alice and I are out in the audience and they're doing their sound check and they have guys setting their equipment up for them. I'm going, hey, we should do that. We got to get some guys. (laughs) So you got the the actual concept of roadies and techs from from the birds. from the birds. Nicely done. But... uh, but as far as my style, uh, when I heard Paul Samuel Smith of the Yardbirds, that was like in, enlightening to me. All of a sudden, I realized that you can take a blues-rooted song and take the bass part anywhere. You know, people always talk about the three guitar players, you know, Clapton and, and Beck and uh, Page. Page but, yeah. but, you know, Paul Samuel Smith was equally as innovative. And when I heard that, I just set my chickens free and and said, okay, I can do anything I want with any song. That's great. I mean, I can hear a lot of that experimental letting go in songs like Halo of Flies, Uh, you know, musical sort of just journeys, I think Alice would call them when you would write them. Well, going back to us, uh, we played at a hot club in Phoenix, the VIP, every weekend. We were... You know the big big fish in little pond there, and and we played with all these bands, including the Yardbirds and the Loving Spoonful and Bobby Fuller Four and all that kind of stuff. So that was your Hamburg, Great. Germany. That was basically your your twenty twenty club, or or what was that's that right? Four set four sets a weekend will get you in shape, you know, plus rehearsals all week because we wanted to be different every weekend. We wanted to have new songs and we wanted to keep changing the show, and. Uh, so we would end up with like, you know, 20 Stone songs and 20 Who songs. We go, okay, well, we can't play all of these songs, so let's do, make them into medleys. And we got really good at transition. So we would do a Who medley and we would do a Stones medley. And Halo of Flies was basically, you know, at that point, we had gotten tired of people talking about how we couldn't play. That's why we did theatrics to, as a crutch, right? And so we said, okay, we're going to write a song that uh, is going to end that. And so we called things germs. Does Alice ever use that with you? Uh, call no, something but, a but germ? We definitely, we definitely have the concept of the medley down. Partly because of all your great songs that you guys wrote, we had to cram a bunch of songs. So he, that's where he got the idea of just doing medleys uh, during the live show because right. he was already used to doing it. So you call them what, germs? Well, a germ could be like just uh, say like Glenn had the intro guitar part for Schools Out and Michael had the intro guitar part that ended up being the intro of Halo of Flies. So we would just have a bunch of those. It's just an idea that hasn't developed into a song yet. So so, uh, Halo of Flies is really just a medley of all the germs that we had kicking around at the time. Nice. Well, I mean, that... that is kind of like the true definition of a band working together. Hey, I got this. No, I got this. No, let me let me put in this idea that and 
sort of, I, I have that experience with uh, Slash's Snake Pit because we kind of did the same thing you're talking about, but for oh, every yeah. day for okay. a year down in Slash's studio coming up with that album, Ain't Life Grand. But uh, obviously you did it and had hit songs with it. I did it and... <laughs> I did it, and I got a record that a lot of people that listen to it go, hey, that's a great record. I didn't know about it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? You're Ryan Roxy. Oh, come on. So, so, so hey, when, when three shows. I know I told you this. Hold yeah, on. Let ahead. me hog your heart a little bit. <laughs> uh, not only are you a great player, uh, but you are got great stage presence, which uh, everybody that's ever seen you knows. But our daughters, when they were quite young, I think uh, Renee, our oldest daughter, was like 12 or something. Yep. And, and I said, Cindy and I said, hey, do you want to go see Alice Cooper? And she said, is Ryan Roxy with them? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, Ryan, yeah, Ryan's there. Okay. She was, right. oh, man, she loved your spins on stage and everything. Oh, man, you were I'm giving, you her, a big- I'm giving her my copy of my Slash album right now. That's fine now. <laughs> I would say three shows, three shows with the birds constitutes a world tour these days, obviously, with all the crap that is going on. We are hunkered down. Um, I'm taping this from uh, Stockholm. I know that our engineer, Vic, is in Arkansas. You are on the Upper East Coast. How are you faring right now through all of this stuff? Well, you know, we were kind of worried. Cindy and I had gone to Manchester for the film festival for the Live from the AstroTurf Alice Cooper film. Uh, And, uh, you know, everything all of a sudden started hitting the fan uh, while we were over there. And everybody's telling us, get home, get home. And you couldn't couldn't change your flight. People were, uh, all of the websites were crashed and you couldn't get a phone call through to the uh, airlines or anything, and people were paying up to fourteen thousand pounds to Are change their ticket. Wow! And and they were all rushing back to get to New York City into a crowd for seven hours trying to get their luggage and everything. So Cindy and I decided we would just uh, chill and and hold off because we found out, you know, what people heard is is the president saying every they're going to cut off flights after Monday at midnight. So, but then uh, vice president uh, clarified that it was going to be uh, U S citizens were exempt. We could come back. So I said, well, let's stick to our original plan. We went to Liverpool. We stayed in the uh, John Lennon suite, which had a baby grand piano in the, in the room, which gives you an idea of how cool it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we managed to uh, come back on a very sparse flight with uh, social distancing was very easy on that flight. <laughs> when we got to the uh, New York airport, we breezed right through because hardly anybody was there. Wow. So that so was part of the, you had a premiere in the UK for a movie because Dennis is, for those of you listening out there, Dennis is not just one of the all time legendary bass players. Um, I guess of rock and roll, not just the original Alice Cooper band. It's, it's, you've made a statement amongst bass in your whole genre. So you're also an author with uh, your book that you've written and you're also now, are, are you, snakes 
There it is, right on the screen. Snakes, uh, hey. guillotines, and electric cars. Look at our, where our, our staff is top notch. And when I mean staff, I just mean Vic, because he knows how to overlay Thanks, that Vic. stuff like no other. <laughs> you're the man. But you're our, you are an author, but you're also now, are you executive producer, producer, director of this live from the AstroTurf that I would had the pleasure of being in? But tell us more uh, about the well, movie. Well, well, the way it came together is uh, basically uh, I heard from Chris Penn, who owns Good Records in Dallas. Yeah. And uh, he kept saying right when my book came out, he kept saying, hey, come to my record store and I'll do a book signing event for you. And, you know, my publisher is saying, well, we should stick to bookstores and book festivals and our record shop probably isn't going to be worthwhile, you know, and, so they, don't know, have, they don't know that record shop. That record shop is killer. Uh, neither yeah. did I really, but man, uh, Chris's persistence is uh, infectious. So uh, finally, you know, uh, we got a date and he, uh, I, which I didn't know was a, a day when you guys had a day off on your tour. <laughs> he knew that. But so, um, you know, I, uh, it started out just me saying, well, would you fly Neil Smith and Michael Bruce out there if, if, uh, if I can talk him into it? So, so we planned on that. And then I found out he was hounding Alice. And I said, okay, chill on that. Let me take care of that part. And, yeah. and then, uh, uh, you know, the, the stars were in alignment. And not only did we uh, uh, pull this thing off without a rehearsal, really. <laughs> I mean, oh, there was definitely no rehearsal. It was it was very serendipitous. It just everything just happened, and like you say, the stars aligning. I remember we were on tour with Motley Crue, and uh, Alice goes, "Hey, you want to come down and jam a couple songs?" I had no idea that it was going to end up being a movie with drone cameras and really personal interviews with, with Chris Penn. Chris Penn became, I don't, maybe he did it himself, like the way that Sylvester Stallone wrote Rocky for himself. I think Christopher Penn actually wrote that movie with you guys as the subject, but, you know, knowing that he was going to be the sort of... Uh, protagonist i guess the the hero of the film because he really comes across great uh well he just is the hero but no no you're giving it way too much credit it was all it was all flying by the seat of your pants i mean uh michael and neil and i did a sound check which basically was getting the amps working and getting the drums set up the way he wanted we we didn't even run through all the songs we weren't even sure what songs we were going to do and then uh uh, the next night, of course, you sat in and, and we hadn't played a note together before that. So uh, so uh, the thing is that once Chris Penn realized that he's going to have the original Alice Cooper group play in his r tiny record store, yeah. uh, which is actually big by record store, uh, you know, a great record store. It's wonderful. Actually, he's moved to another location and he's because of the situation now he's doing online. If you want to order records from good record, uh, good records, 
you can get pretty much anything you want sent to your home. Well, he's anyway, watching the live stream. I invite you on, Chris uh, Penn, right now. If you want to come on, just stick yeah, come on, because I know you're probably watching. You're probably creeping around the comments board somewhere. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying hearing the story about how it all came together, and now it actually got released into. You've done a lot of premieres. I was at the New York premiere with Calico Cooper and Chuck Garrick, and we were able to. Uh, premiere it. And that was the first actual movie premiere that I've been a part of. So where have you done these premieres and you know, how is the success? What's the plan for the movie now? Uh, well, you know, we've, uh, live from the AstroTurf has won five awards Congrats. in film festivals. Uh, we've had it in Phoenix, uh, Detroit. Uh, I know I'm going to forget Dallas, of course. Uh, Manchester, New uh, New York city was a biggie, uh, Hollywood. So we've, it's been all over the place, uh, in film festivals and gotten extremely good, uh, rave reviews. Uh, but I'm also plugging another film that I made called cold, cold coffin. And, and, uh, that one best music video at the, uh, Los Angeles motion picture film festival just recently. Well, I remember so, that being the, that was the film. It was like sort of a double feature and it was the right. cold, cold coffin video that you would show. And then live at the AstroTurf and who else, uh, stars in cold, cold coffin with you in that video? Oh yeah. So, uh, Calico Cooper yeah. and you know, you think, Oh my God, what really? How did that happen? Well, first of all, we were looking, uh, we wanted to have a dancer and we wanted somebody that would play, a young gold digging wife uh, and I'm playing the older eccentric who owns a castle, right? Calico Cooper was born for that role. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, so we were uh, checking out the New York city, just full of dancers, you know, but then I'm going, wait a minute, you know what? Uh, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl could do it. But, uh, but Calico is, as you know, you know, almost a clone of Cheryl on stage when, when she's dancing. They're, so uh, I said, Oh, they're both very animated. I will def- definitely give you that. And sorry, Calco, I know you're listening. So you are not a gold digger. You're just born to play no. that role. Oh, That's are all. you kidding? Calico <laughs> is wonderful. Oh, oh my, my God. She's so there's a scene in cold, cold coffin where we're supposed to be getting married. Right. Okay. And so the, the priest is there reading the vows and everything. And, and so the camera's over my shoulder uh, with her expression. And then the, can, the camera's over her shoulder with my expression. But while the camera's behind her aimed at me, she's crossing her eyes and sticking out her tongue and everything. Classic <laughs> and Calico. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's her, classic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, how this is what leads me to my next uh, sort of. I'm interested in it and maybe people are actually interested as I am, I'm definitely close to it because you raised the money for this Coco coffin through crowdfunding. You went through a Kickstarter and I'm doing a Kickstarter now, right now with my guitar lessons. So I'm trying to reach my goal through that. You guys, how did it uh, work out with funding the cold, cold coffin video? And, and was it as hard or was it easier than you expected with all these types of way, things these days? Way, way, way harder. In fact, I'm still not done shipping all of the items. And so you've got to be better than me at it. But 
we had, uh, uh, well, first of all, I had like a warehouse full of uh, tour booklets from 1973 and stuff like that. It pays to be so, a hoarder, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's weird. I guess I am a hoarder, but I don't look at it that way. It just, I just look at it like when it comes time to sort through stuff and throw yeah. stuff out. I'd rather write a song. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you never know someday you might need that tour book from 1970, which it actually came in handy for this, right? Yeah. It worked out great. I mean, we uh, shipped all kinds of stuff. Chris Penn is, uh, you know, everybody says, thank God for Chris Penn. Well, that's because the packaging on everything he does is amazing, which he does, he says, in tribute to the packaging that the Alice Cooper group you know, has did, uh, you know, the wallet for billion dollar babies and the yeah. school desk and all that kind of you stuff. You guys are known for good packaging, but then, then again, back in the seventies, the packaging and the whole presentation of the vinyl album was art. It really was. I mean, I'm really lucky to have a guy like, uh, Scotty Hagen over at, at Bellyache records that, feels that same sort of thing, but you yeah. guys have had, some, yeah, you do. You had some classic, uh, packaging and of course live from the astroturf yeah I, I just you know of course it just dawned on me it started out as like a three song ep right or four song and then it expanded into larger and larger projects and then it became a movie i love it right well what happened is first of all chris penn had bands come and play at the store regularly and it had he had green astroturf on the stage but he repainted the store to go with the pink panties on the cover of uh, uh, Snakes, Guillotines, Electric Chairs, my book. Dedication. And, and he got pink astroturf. And so, uh, as you saw when you got there. Uh, and so uh, uh, all of these things add up to just uh, he's giving fans what he imagines he would want to get. But, you know he said that our night was the first time that the recording came out for the entire show. He said, everybody else he's ever recorded, something would mess up halfway through the set and they would lose the bass or whatever. You I know, I feel like that with this podcast, with this live stream podcast. Cause I just looked down at my recorder going, um, I hope this makes it all the way through because this is a good interview and I definitely want to put slap the good audio on it and stuff. But yeah. So maybe you're our good luck okay. charm for good audio. Uh, Okay, I'm raising the bar for you. Well, the Beatles raised the bar for album packaging. Yeah. But, but you know, like they did so many things like that. But we also had Warner Brothers who were really good at uh, coming through when it came to doing something that cost a little extra. Now, to get back to good records, so Chris Penn, last minute, calls his his friend, Steve Stephen Gaddis, who is the... Uh, uh, who made the film right. and says, you know, I'm not going to believe this happened on Monday morning, you know, get, can you get down here and just uh, do some footage for my own personal uh, archive? And he did. But then when, you know, uh, about a week later, uh, Stephen called Chris and said, you know what, this came out too good. We've got a film here. Right. So, so they started working on it. The, the hardest part of making the film look as good as it did uh, is that uh, Chris Penn had this bright idea of using all red lights. 
And as you know, that's the hardest thing to photograph. I've seen the you movie know? Seven down in the uh, uh, so the S and M part that that one David Fincher film. I don't know why that just came to me, but that weird lighting. Yeah, it's nothing ever comes out that good. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything looks red. Uh, but so then the sound came out good because Justin Cordelou and Bob Ezrin mixed the tracks for us. So, nice. so it sounds like a live band. You've seen the film. So, I mean, uh, I, I've seen it, uh, let's see, probably about at least seven times in theaters. And uh, a couple of times, man, they had it cranked to where, I mean, you could feel the bass in your chest. <laughs> it was great. Actually, Manchester had it cranked nicely. Dennis, it sounds like a real band. I it, just it didn't really see does. the movie. I lived it. See, I've been waiting to say that in an interview for so long. I just didn't. I didn't see it. I just didn't. Well, see it. oh I man, it. I, it was so great to have you show up and and uh, last minute. I mean that. You know the thing. The illusion is that uh, we just show up and we do our thing and it sounds good, right? But no, you had to talk to Michael Bruce about which parts he was going to play because a lot of the parts that he normally plays are the ones that you play. Yeah. Right. It was a little bit, uh, flying by the seat of my pants, but because I've been in both those positions for as many years and because I've been playing your songs, uh, for as many years as I have with Alice Cooper, I kind of knew, okay, well, if he's going to go for this, uh, inversion of this chord, I'll just go the upper register. And it, and it worked out. It really was one of those magical nights and I'm glad that it turned into all this. When is the public going to be able to see, well, we're working like, on it. I mean, it has to, we have to talk, uh, you know, the Alice camp into helping us out. And we have to, we have to, we're trying to find a deal with Netflix or something. So we're, we've been working very hard to make something happen that'll get it out to more than the expected Alice Cooper fan base who are all wonderful and they will get it as soon as we can make that happen. But uh, we have bigger ideas in, in mind to help spread the, the news of uh, this film to uh, more of a mass audience. Awesome. We'll see. I mean, well, you know, the, when, once the uh, licensing to be able to use the music in film festivals runs out, that'll kind of uh, move us on to a next uh, level of uh, deadlines, you know, and making it, getting well, it out I there. I hope for two reasons that people get to see, or, you know, the movie comes out on a national platform. One, the people deserve to see it. They need to see this, um, you know, three quarters of the original Alice Cooper band on stage kicking ass. And two, I'm going to get more than a slap on the back and a free uh, Mexican restaurant meal out of uh, Christopher Penn. How about that? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. He knows where the good ones are in Dallas. Wow. Oh, he took me to one, but that's, that, that's what I've gotten paid so far. So we shall see. <laughs> well, me too. Let's say, well, actually I'm in the red, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> he owes me a, a, a more Mexican restaurant uh, dinners. So, so, uh, okay. So in the film, you see the part where we had finished doing six songs and then we go in the back room and you're like, Hey, we got to do elected. And we're all going, what? We haven't played elected. Like Alice said, 20 years. I know it was more than that. I mean, we haven't played elected in like 40 years at least. 
And uh, so we're like, oh, my God. Oh, geez. And, I'm not uh, sure if that was me. I, I think uh, Caesar Sabatini, our stage manager for the Alice Cooper Band, he, oh, Caesar I think, I think he takes credit for that. I'm not entirely sure. Don't quote me. Okay. Quote me. I think he takes credit for it. Hey guys, you got to do an encore. Go do it. And, and all of a sudden, we just went out there and did a couple uh, more songs, which was cool because that ended it. You know, it, it ended possibly a very short set to be, you know, lengthened into a movie. Right. Uh, but but I love what Neil said later because in the movie, you see, we're, we come back out to do Elected and we're all standing there and Alice says, look, everybody's waiting to see who's going to start it. And then when we played the song and we went back into the back room, Neil said exactly what I was thinking at the, at the time. He said, we hit the first chord and then he said to himself, what the F happens next? <laughs> but of course, once uh, Michael started his Dolly Dagger riff, then you can hear Neil, the very first bass drum beat, is a little hesitant. But once he gets, once he figures that out, then we're off and running. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna have to have him on the show, and and you know what, a drummer's edition, maybe have Neil and Glenn Sobel on at the same time. We do get oh. a little bit. Oh, I know. But we we do get a little bit uh, guitar geek here. And before I, if it's okay with you, before I open up the uh, forum to have people come on and maybe ask a few questions for you, because because we do this live stream, I do like to bring some people on and they have some questions, maybe, you know, get on screen with you if they want. Uh, Maybe Vic can put up that uh, uh, invite up on the screen there. If you are listening to this at a regular podcast whether it's spotify or apple you're going this does nothing for me what do, what, what do you mean <laughs> but all i'm saying is i'd like to get a little bit into your bass gear and which has become this iconic sound especially the bass guitar because whatever that bass was that you recorded all those hits with it's become quite iconic and sought after and people always ask me like where what is that base? Where can I get one? And I think you had a custom uh, model sort of uh, reproduction of that exact base. I want to hear about that. All right. Yeah. Oh, right now. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> no, we could do it in another podcast, I guess, but no, no, oh, no, right? no time like the you're... present. Let's do it. Okay. So I don't have time to Google anything. All right. <laughs> Well, when did you talk, talk to us about that bass? What do you call it? Do you have a name for it? Everybody has a name for their favorite guitar. Well, well, the one that, the one that I use now is the billion dollar bass. It's the Fender Jazz, uh, 1970. I had three 1970 Fender Jazz basses. So guess which year the Ellis Cooper group could afford equipment. (laughs) Uh, just take a quick guess. Uh, early (laughs) seventies. Uh, yeah, 1970. Uh, exactly 1970. Uh, so, uh, but that wasn't the only year, but, but no, well, the first, the first pretties for you was my airline base, which was my very first base, which was like a beginner space that after I went to Oregon and worked on grandpa's farm, Glenn Buxton went down to Montgomery ward with me and we found this short scale beginner space. And that's what I used on, uh, the Pretties for you album. Okay, what, pretty for you. 
Okay. And then for easy action, and very people, few people know this, but it's word is getting out a little bit. Uh, we had been in an accident, either that or some. There was a, a couple of years along there where every time you walked out of your hotel room, you'd come back and your your instrument would be stolen. And uh, anyway, whatever it was, I showed up at the studio and I didn't have a bass. So David Briggs, who was producing the album, said, well, there's an equipment closet over there. Go see if there's anything in there. And Glenn Buxton followed me. And I opened the thing, and there was a Hofner bass. And I go, oh, God, a Hofner. I don't know. And Glenn's like, oh, cool, a Hofner, trying to you know, right. encourage me. Yeah. So I take it Hyping out, and I open the case, and I, and I go, oh, man, a Hofner. And he's like, man, this is just what you needed, you know, and all that. And I picked it up and I turned it over. And on the back, it said the cow sills. Okay. I recorded easy action with the cow sills Hofner bass. Wow. See, yeah. does anybody know that story? Has, has it gotten <laughs> yeah. out yet? Or is this an actually, exclusive? Please give me actually, an exclusive. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> no, no, it's confirmed in recent years. May Pang knows Paul uh, from the cow sills. And uh, she, I got her to email him because I wanted confirmation that they stenciled the name on the back of their instruments. Right. And he replied, I had the reply. He said, yes, they did. So it's authenticated. So, I love it. Is it authenticated. <laughs> so one of the albums that I have lots of, uh, I play lots of songs off of all the time. We actually, uh, when we recorded uh, The Eyes of Alice Cooper, we used Love It to Death as a blueprint what was that because oh, that okay. has so many iconic songs what was that bass well i started out with my uh gibson ebo uh give uh cindy calls it the frog because i spray painted it green and glued mirrors all over it it's the one that's on the uh back cover of uh love it to death album uh and I, I started out using that as soon as we went in the studio the first song we did was i'm 18 and immediately, Bob Ezrin said, uh, we've got a problem getting a sound, a good sound on the bass. And, uh, and that's because using a pick with that bass, I used to use extra heavy gauge flat wound labella strings. And, uh, but the E string would be real boomy compared to the other three strings. So we ended up renting a Fender bass and uh, I'm like, oh my God! Now it's a now I'm playing a bass that's foreign to me, and so you know you do what you got to do. And on the spot, I switched to Fender bass, rented, and then. Uh, Have you always been a pick player or a, a finger player? Because honestly, I'm going to get some street cred for talking about bass on the In the Trenches podcast this episode. It's always <laughs> guitar players that I have on, but. You're my first bass player, I believe, that I've had on the show. So I'm. All right. I think I'm asking a legitimate question. Are you a, a oh, absolutely pick, picker Let's fingers? Face it, bass, uh, bass uh, fingers. You know, even like uh, James Jamerson, the Hook. Right? He okay. only used one finger on all those Motown songs. One finger. Can I? Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I used. I started out a thumber. You know, I think Brian Wilson is still the only thumber left in the world. No, not. <laughs> Not slapping it, picking with your thumb. That's yeah. why Fender basses used to have the the finger uh, rest at, under the strings as well as above the strings. 
But anyway, so then I used my fingers when we were doing the VIP club, you know, uh, four sets a weekend. And then we had some other gigs and I ended up wearing the skin off of my, my fingers, right? Right. They all the way, all no skin down to the meat, you know? Wow. And so I started using a pick. And then as, uh, when we got into writing our own material, I, I, I like, you know, Mr. Lou, you know, the surf song. So, you know, I'd like to do stuff like that. And I like to do uh, things like that. Uh, so I, I started writing parts with the pick that, I've heard bassists play with their fingers, you know, it can be done, but it just doesn't sound uh, like the record. So I kind of decided, okay, well, that's my style. I use a pick, even though uh, bass sounds meatier and more even with fingers. Right. And my, Gibbs, my Gibson frog bass may have worked if I use my fingers, but, but we wanted that percussive pick sound. That was my, that that was was my style whole... back then band sound. and uh so uh i used the uh, gibson on some of the songs i can't remember which i could probably if i really listen to the album again you can uh, yeah you could hear it yeah but then after that uh the rental for that fender bass by the end of the session expired the rental uh, was far greater than me just buying the bass <laughs> so basically they said no you can you can have it for the sales price and it's yours and i go okay so that ended I ended up being a very iconic bass for you then. Amazing. I did not want to play a Fender. Everybody else had a Fender for the look. Right. I love the Gibson and uh and I wanted to be different. But the reliability, you know, another bassist said to me once, and I think it's perfect, that you could commit an axe murder with a fender bass and it'll still be in tune. <laughs> But That's good, it's man. I never heard that one before. It's reliability. It's uh, it's kind of like uh, the way I feel with Gibson through a Marshall. So you always have a Fender. Right. What, what was the amp of choice back in those days, or what is it still the amp of choice? Is it Ampeg you know, or is it? You know, well, kind of amp? Uh, acoustic amplifiers uh, started out in Los Angeles, and they endorsed two groups at the time: the Doors and because of good management, us. <laughs> and, and, the, and the acoustic guitar amps were pretty crappy. They didn't sound well, good. Well, the acoustic oh. bass amps lo looked like mini PAs. I remember those from the 70s. They, it was they, the they, first they, reflex they, cabinet. Yes. It was the first reflex. And that was the workhorse. That was the bass amp to have back then. It had wheels on the back. You could tilt it back and roll it out. And, and the, uh, you know, it... That was the workhorse, and that was a great amp. I mean, we did outdoor festivals, and after the gig, people would say, you know, we were walking up to the festival, and the first, the only thing we could hear at one point was the bass. And then when we got closer, we could hear other instruments. You know, bass travels that way. But uh, one time I had a problem with that amp, though. Wow. Uh, you know, we used to do uh, the big uh, feather storm on in our show well you basically and, took you took a, a pillow right and and you, yeah. you just you just took and you cut the pillow and up and feathers went everywhere right well we blew the feathers with a co2 tank uh -huh. which uh you know uh came uh unknowingly uh were donated by holiday inns across the country <laughs> unknowingly <laughs> so, 
Yeah, like like uh, Michael Bruce said, the reason we stopped doing the feather storm is is when Holiday Inn went to foam pillows. <laughs> <laughs> but funny. but anyway, so one time uh, we got set up and the amp was not sounding as good as it used to, and and I'm like, man, this is like, boom, boom. so it's all muffled, you know. So uh, our roadie Ronnie Bolts, uh, I said, well, let's open it up. We took the grill cloth off. And in the bottom, of the amp was full of feathers <laughs> because the CO2 tank apparently could blow those feathers right through the grill cloth. So after that, regularly, we I mean, there was a ton of feathers inside the amp. <laughs> so you have actually bird feathers to thank uh, for the actual live sound of the Alice Cooper band back in the 70s. It's, it, 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 it was a factor. All right. Yeah, that's the secret. <laughs> that's the my secret scoop. ingredient. Oh, well, it's out there now. That's my exclusive. All right, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Jeez. Well, well uh, basis now, if they want to copy that, they'll have to use foam. Well, I. <laughs> that's the whole thing because what you're telling me is that you guys were proficient on your instruments. You guys had rehearsed. You guys knew your stuff, but you also always combined image, theater. Um, pizzazz with the show and i know that part of the um look of the alice cooper band was what freaked out parents endeared young kids to like oh, this is these are my guys and who was responsible for that sort of look of the alice cooper band back in those early days i think i know well, uh, in the very early days, it was the women's section at thrift stores. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, and then, uh, and then, of course, my wife Cindy, uh, who is uh, Neil Smith's sister, or Neil Smith is her brother. I think she'd prefer me to say. Uh, <laughs> everybody calls her Neil Smith's sister. Uh, so. Um, yeah. So when she came to live with the band in Hollywood, uh, you know, we had decided we wanted to our very well, let me say exactly when it started. We had played at uh, our very first gig. The poster said the Naz, which was the name of our band, uh, not Todd Rundgren's Naz. That's why we changed ours. So we had to, yeah. Uh, but, but our very first gig is Alice Cooper, even though the the poster still said the NAS was blue cheer, the nitty gritty dirt band and Alice Cooper. And, and we were in this room in orange, I think it was orange County, California or something. And, uh, and we were, I was looking around and I'm going, okay, there's three guys in blue cheer. There's about, I don't know what, 27 guys in nitty gritty. <laughs> I think there was about six. And, and then, and then the five of us, I said, look, look or at five. Sorry. We were all standing together. No, that's okay. <laughs> we're all standing together. And we're, I'm like, look, every single musician has Levi's on. Let's make a pact right now. We'll never wear Levi's on stage again. We got to be different. And so that started it. And then we started uh, uh, doing uh, more sparkly things. And of course, Cindy has always and to this day been the sparkle queen. So we said, okay, let's, 
let's do chrome outfits, you know, and let's do this and that. Let's do sequins. And she was able to track down these fabrics that weren't easy to find in those days. And then she had her sewing machine and, and we would have meetings. This, you know, we were all of our work went into the music. The the theatrics was just kind of a no-brainer, you know. That was just we could we could think of anything on the spot, you know. But right. uh but but we would think, okay, well, our next album, let's get kind of this sort of a theme, and our next show, let's have this sort of a theme. And Cindy would work with each guy, you know, she'd make drawings, she'd talk to Glenn and and listen to his uh, uh preferences, you know. He liked him and I both like shorter sleeves. That's why you see me in pictures where okay. my my jacket looks like it's too short for me. Well, because you don't want it to get in the way of the instrument. I'm, I'm assuming. I, I like I like the feel of of skin against the base. It grips better. And also, I like uh, Frankenstein. So it's got clothes <laughs> <laughs> are too short, right? Uh, of course. But so oh. then, then it would always be when's the deadline? Well, the deadline's like yesterday, you know. So Cindy would go in a room and stay up all night, and then the morning she'd miraculously come out with all of these outfits, you know. And that's exactly what she did, even like the. Uh, the white satin suits on uh, Billion Dollar Baby's album. Oh, yeah. She, she made all of those from scratch. She was up all night, and then she was too exhausted to go to the uh, David Bailey photo session. She really wanted to go, but she crashed. Yeah, she's tired. She was sewing all night. Yeah. Cindy Smith Dunaway and a sewing machine, just like sort of pioneering rock and roll fashion. Man, I, I mean, th these are the type of things I feel you've given me enough exclusives on this podcast so far that I feel I need to wrap this one up, but it leaves the door open for another time for you to come on with me for us to do another podcast. Is that, can I get maybe a hell yeah? Can I get, can I get yes? A confirmation Ab that you'll come Ab back? Absolutely. Love Be to. Because I said I wanted to open up the door for a few people coming in to ask some questions because I know they're very curious and happy to be on the same screen as you as well. But I'm going to wrap up the regular podcast and I'll tell everybody out there that's listening on a regular podcast, you got to come and check out the YouTube version because we're going to have a little extra Q&A on it. But for now, until the next time, um, I will say goodbye to everyone that's listening and uh, we'll see you next time on In the Trenches podcast with Ryan Roxy and boom, that's when the ending will happen and I will bring us back for some Q&A, special bonus Q&A, Dennis. Thank you very much. Um, by the way, just before I, I cut it off on the regular podcast, how are people going to get in touch with you? How can people find you? I know that you're on Instagram as cold, cold coffin, but what, is there a better way? Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. The, be the better way is, uh, uh, just go to Dennis Dunaway on my, either of my Facebook pages and that's me message me private message. There you go. Open invitation from Dennis Dunaway. Now we're going to open it up here on the bonus Q&A for uh, In the Trenches podcast live stream. Who do we got on? There it is. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you doing, Bedrock? Hi, Dennis. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you. Oh, it's so great to see you again. I just want to say a quick hello and thank you again for uh, having me 
in London at the O2 Arena. We saw last October. That <laughs> was uh, fun. Yeah. Actually, I, actually, I just uh, saw the O2 Arena just last week. Well, uh, yeah, I know. We were in and, London again. <laughs> I know, I know. And uh, I should have been there, but uh, I am in Italy and uh, we are locked down. So, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. So I hope the next time you'll be here, uh, you'll be in the UK. Uh, I hope to be there and see oh. you and, and Cindy. Oh, thank you. Yes, we hope to be back as soon as we can. Very cool, man. Thank you, Federock. Anybody else would like to come on? Vic, are you? Uh, there it is, Michael McVeigh. What's happening, brother? Hey, Michael. Hey, man. How hey, Dennis. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting you through through my good friend, Richie Hillett. Uh, it was a week before uh, Glenn passed away. And uh, it's been a while. But uh, my, it's funny you, you brought up the suit that your uh, uh, – was your wife you said made? Can you hear yep. me? Yep. You cut out for yes. a second there. Yep. I was going to ask you, do you still have that suit? Do you still have that suit that Cindy made for the silver one? Uh, she still has most of those costumes, you know, but like uh, back in the old days, uh, Alice would say to me, uh, I think it's time to uh, come up with a new tour because our clothes are rotting off. Well, put them in a trunk for like, uh, you know, 40 years and, and then look at, you know, so now the silver, the chrome is gray, you know, but, but she still has uh, the majority of those costumes and she's actually doing a book now nice. that will have to do with the costumes, how she made them and a lot of other things. You know, Cindy used to write letters home faithfully. And she has all of those letters of all of these things that we had uh, forgotten even happened. Uh, you know, interesting things. This, so uh, she's working sounds, on a book. I mean, I was actually going to ask you to borrow one of those, uh, not borrow, but uh, get one of those suits for my own Kickstarter campaign. But this sounds like a whole new other Kickstarter campaign that Cindy can do for her <laughs> book. I, trust me, those people will buy those suits and they will wear them and actually you know, live in the moment in that suit. Let's bring someone else on. What do you say, Vic? Hello, Franzi. Oh, hi. Hey. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, Dennis, I was wondering, um, was there ever a time when you were just traveling around and, like, waiting for things to hit? Were you sort of wondering? Were you were doubting? Like, is this really the right thing? Is this, like, working out? Or maybe it's not working? No, no, no. I was, I was the, uh, I was the cheerleader for the band, you know, when we would have a down night, like, in fact, the night that we played in New York city where Bob Ezrin was in the audience, it was, there was hardly anybody there. We were, we were tuning up on the stairwell of Max's Kansas city because the dressing room was full of, uh, empty beer bottles. You couldn't even get in the door. And everybody's like, let's not even play this gig. Nobody's here, you know. And, and I'm like, no, remember, guys, the smaller the crowd, the bigger the rumors. And I remember Glenn Buxton saying, well, why don't we not play and start a rumor that we did? <laughs> <laughs> I but love no, that line. no, we, we thought we were surprised when 
Pretties for You didn't set the world on fire. You know, Frank Zappa had played it for the Beatles before it was released, and they said they liked it or whatever. We That's what we heard. And then uh, we thought Easy Action would set the world on fire. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, we, we believed that we were going to make it, but we were just frustrated with the rest of the world, uh, you know, agreeing, especially since everywhere we went, people were trying to beat us up in the parking lot. <laughs> Well, you know what? I, you passed the torch of rock with that because that happened to me in my bands as well. But the smaller the crowd, the bigger the rumors. I think we're actually uh, we're living it because we're, we're working our way through the uh, in the trenches yeah. podcast as well. Lily, how you doing? Welcome to the thing. You unmute your mic and say your question. Hi, Lily. <laughs> so I have a question for Dennis. So. Um... <laughs> Uh, you've experienced so much in your life and you have achieved so much, but I wondered if there's still anything left that you'd like to do or that you'd like to achieve that you haven't done yet? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've always had the same goal to to write a song that's different than any song that's ever been done. Uh, you know, I don't know how I became an author. It's like... Uh, really? I'm an author? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I go to New York City, uh, well, when you when you weren't homebound, and uh, go to uh, St. Martin's Press, and I'd meet people that, you know, were authors that were like really big deal authors, you know, I'm like, hello, I wrote a book about Benjamin Franklin. And I'm like, well, I wrote a book about throwing chickens at an audience, you know, <laughs> but somehow we're in the same boat. Uh, art, uh, I, I haven't done anything in dancing, but I want to get back to music now. I want to really dig deep into writing some new songs. So that's, that's what I'm going to say. The next time you come on the podcast, Dennis, we're going to talk a little bit more about Blue Coop. We're going to talk about, uh, the current stuff that you're actually writing. Um, I, I know that my buddy Stefan, and you know him, he wants you yeah. desperately to come on to Coffee Talk. And I told him that, well, you know what? Dennis is dipping his toe into the live stream stuff right now. But if this goes well, and I think it has, uh, he's going to come on the show. So hopefully we'll get you on Coffee Talk, and then I can have you back on yeah. there one more time. I wanted to get Dave Yeah, but you, you and Stefan are always talking about all these people that I don't know who they are. Well, okay. I'm gonna. I'm. You know, me and you are gonna sit back and have a private talk about Bruce Kulick because for some reason it always goes oh, yeah. back to I Bruce Kulick. Oh yeah, I've got a Bruce Kulick story, so I'll save <laughs> well, that. For his save it show. for the next podcast yeah. because we really okay. need a headline. All right. Yeah. Okay. You Hold got on. It. This is this is Dave R. He's part hey, of the uh, he's part of the Roxy Guitar Army team that's that we're doing this Kickstarter together. He's part of the. Oh, cool. He's on the All team. Right. But I know he's also a big fan of you and your music. So, Dave, ask away. Cool. I do have a question for Dennis. But I do also want to say I love the smaller the crowd, the bigger the rumor. We definitely <laughs> need to keep that. Uh, that rings a lot of bells. Now, what I want to know is, obviously, you were in the original Alice Cooper band. If you hadn't been in a band, or maybe you'd been in a different band, or maybe you were a sideman or something like that, who would you want it to have played for? Who have you seen and gone, okay, if I wasn't in Alice Cooper, I'd love to have been in that instead? Oh, my God. Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, back back in the in the 60s and 70s, I, 
I was in love with the iCat, so maybe Tina Turner. <laughs> uh, no, uh, let's see. It would have to be uh, somebody that's progressive and, and avant-garde. I'm, I don't know, maybe somebody like uh, Nick Cave or something like that. Yeah, that seems like one of your perfect guys to play with. A bit yeah. arty, but you know, a bit dark, a bit mysterious. Dark. Yeah, that's the key. Dark. Yeah. I like dark. <laughs> oh, hi. Hello. How you doing? What's happening? You have a question for Dennis? I'm just sitting in the parking lot right now just to watch this. <laughs> well, thank you for doing it. But so, will you act like you're actually working as a air control systems, you know, officer? I know. Landing airplane. Hey, what, <laughs> hey, what's with the last I have name? Audio. <laughs> what, what's with the last name? Um, actually, I kind of picked that up from Alice, and a lot of people started <laughs> okay. figuring that out from me, so. <laughs> so you pronounce it Fernier? I, I do it as Fernier instead of Fernier. Okay. So, <laughs> so, but weren't you on the Paranormal album for Alice? Uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, did Sound of Bay, Fireball. Uh, the original group played on Rats, which is Tommy oh, Hendrickson's really? song. Yeah, that's Neil and Michael and I, uh, and Tommy, of course, who wrote it. Oh, of course, it. Tommy. And then, uh, and then the original group did uh, uh, Genuine American Girl, and then we did oh, uh, for for me and uh, yeah for for you and all your friend me and all my friends. <laughs> Alice changed the title. What what the heck did he change it to now? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah, so we played on that, uh, and we we did a couple of tracks for the next album as well. Nice, nice. So, so the yeah, I'm, the, let's save it for the next podcast. We'll talk about the next album. We'll talk about okay. Blue Coop. We're gonna kind of wrap things up right now because we've okay. been going on for over an hour. I've taken an hour of your time, but I think it's been an hour well spent for everybody that's been watching. And um, if you didn't get on the live stream podcast this time, I promise I will do my best to get you on the next time. Um, I just wanted to thank Dennis Dunaway, bassist for Alice Cooper, Blue Coop, and so much more for coming on the In the Trenches, a podcast with Ryan Roxy. Um, any parting words that you have, Mr. Dennis? Well, uh, everybody hang in there. Music is a wonderful thing to do when you're homebound. I mean, if you want to go on a, on a journey, just put on your headphones and, uh, and put on uh, some good music. And uh, Ryan's got plenty out there. I'm sure you all have it. Uh, Blue Coop have 11 even. Uh, you know, so... Uh, I've, I'm trying to be as creative as possible, but I think one tip is comes from Cindy, my wife. She says uh, she doesn't want to be homebound and and just wear her her jammies all day. So she says, dress up like you're going out, and then you'll feel better. And I think she's right. I think I need to go put on some pants then and continue with my evening. <laughs> But thank you so much, Dennis. Thanks, Ryan. And thank you, you're Cindy. Great, man. I know you're in there somewhere. I'm going to thank my wife, Bianca, for like, you know, hanging in there, bringing me some wine when I needed it. But most of all, thanks to all of you for hanging out with us this last yes, uh, little 
jaunt that we've had. I don't know why I've used words like pizzazz and jaunt. I don't know. I'm perhaps going back I like pizzazz. I like pizzazz better than jaunt. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? I got a verbal confirmation that you're going to be on again on in the trenches podcast. So right. yeah. I'm good with that. And uh, you know what, guys? Thank you very much for watching. We will see you next time on In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Good night. Enjoy the ride. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy.